Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I'm thrilled to have you here this week. This week is going to be a really, really fun episode uh, that I personally am really excited about. If you haven't known or if you have been under a rock for the past year, two years, whatever, uh, then you would not know that there is a current movie coming up that uh, the rest of the world is rather excited about. And that, of course, is Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Now, as a Star Wars uh, nerd and fanatic that I am, I saw it only fitting to uh, devote an entire episode to this subject matter because... The story of Star Wars is one that I think is unlike any other. It, it encompasses the, the very true and human story, even though it is about space aliens and, and, uh, and fantasy and it's a big space opera. It still encompasses many of the human traits and human sto- uh, stories that we have seen uh, in a trend all throughout history. So that is why... And, and also because it has many, uh, many libertarian traits and many libertarian uh, philosophies that are very similar to that of Star Wars. Um, that is why I decided that I wanted to bring on uh, Stephen Kent. He is uh, the, the PR director at, at Young Voices Advocate, and he co-hosts one of a, a very interesting podcast of his own called Beltway Banthas which is kind of a a merger of Star Wars and politics. Um, I brought him on to talk about Star Wars, to preview the new movie that's coming up here very soon, and how the ideas of Star Wars and the philosophy of Star Wars relates to that of the uh, philosophy and the ideas within uh, libertarianism and the liberty movement. So without further ado, this is going to be one of the most fun episodes I've ever done. You can't, if you can't tell, I'm I'm very excited about this. So without further ado, please sit back and enjoy this interview that I have, this conversation that I have with Stephen Kent about none other than Star Wars. All right, Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, happy to be here, Caleb. All right, I'm very excited about doing uh, this episode this week because it's it's diving into a a, a topic that <laughs> that I really enjoy and I really uh, I really find uh, fun and it certainly has had an impact on my life, <clears throat> but I haven't really had the chance to to dive too much into it and that is of course the uh, the issue of Star Wars with the new movie coming up here just next week. I can't believe it's actually that close. Uh, now already, um, but I, I wanted to bring you on because uh, I I remember listening to uh, to Glenn Beck actually a few weeks ago I, I think around the time of the trailer and you were uh, you were on the on the program talking about the the trailer and I thought man I have to I have to get you on for this um, so first of all tell us about your podcast tell us about uh, Beltway Banthas and uh, and some of your thoughts about uh about star wars as a whole and we'll get into it from there yeah sure so i started beltway banthas uh just about two years ago uh with a friend of mine uh from my church and we just uh we were really passionate about star wars we've always have been we're very passionate about politics 
And I sort of saw an opening in the marketplace, if you will. Uh, I listened to a lot of politics podcasts and a lot of Star Wars podcasts, and both of them um, are reluctant to touch on the other. So you have all these Star Wars podcasts that are mortified at the idea of the third rail of politics and politicizing the series and alienating their fan bases on their podcasts. And I was like, well, that's stupid. Star Wars is incredibly political. And then you have all these politics podcasts who you have a lot of nerds who work in DC and in the podcasting world, but they try to stay focused on the the nitty gritty, you know, quote unquote, important issues of the day. And they don't veer off too much into their fandom, uh, you know, even though they love the series. And you have Ben Dominich of The Federalist, Tamara Keith and Scott Detrow of NPR Politics, Kristen Soltis-Anderson of The Pollsters Podcast, all mega fans. And they don't get to talk about this stuff on a regular basis as much as they want to. So I went, oh, my gosh, why don't we just actually create a podcast that's dedicated to giving people a space to do these things and tacking the third rail of politics and Star Wars and bringing Star Wars fans in on it rather than making them feel alienated because, you know, there is there are just like in every community and subculture, there are conservative wings of the Star Wars fan community. There are liberal fans, very progressive corners of the Star Wars fan community as well. And they are constantly at war with each other on the Internet. And so I brought on a progressive co-host and I was like, listen, we're going to just do this to bring everybody together and have fun with this instead of making everything so gosh darn divisive. Um, and we've been really, really enjoying it. It's, um, we've gotten a lot of traction and a little bit of attention from fun places like, uh, like Glenn Beck. Um, and uh, we, we plan to keep doing it. Yeah, so um, before we get into to some of the more specifics, you, you actually have started a, a Patreon, am I, am I correct? You are correct. I've, uh, I've I've been reluctant for about a year to do it because crowdsourcing makes me uncomfortable. But uh, we heard from a lot of our listeners that people wanted to actually get involved on a deeper level. So we just launched our Patreon the other week um, where you can join us for bonus conversations about Star Wars, about politics, about the things that are bothering you in both. Um, and we think it's a great way to help grow the show. Is that something you're familiar with as well? Yeah, well, we're uh, we're we're certainly exploring those possibilities here at Outset, and uh, we have some very exciting, um, very exciting steps forward that we're about ready to take. Uh, that we're not quite ready to announce yet, but we will be here in the very near future. Um, so, talk to us about the the philosophy. Of, of Star Wars and how it connects with uh, some of the ideas and some of the philosophies that uh, intersect with, with libertarianism and, and how those, those two worlds kind of collide of sorts. Yeah, well, there's a lot to go over, and so we, we can maybe kick this uh, kick this around a little bit back and forth to try to get to the answer. Right. Um, I think I think the broad answer is is that Star Wars is not specific to um, any one ideology or political view of the world. George Lucas made this as a hodgepodge. Uh, of Western and Eastern cultures all put together to try to find the most universal themes uh, that he possibly could for a series. Um, now, my my co-host Suara, he's very adamant that Star Wars is inherently progressive because George Lucas is progressive. Um, but my view has always been that when a progressive tries to make their argument, they end up making the argument for more freedom. <laughs> it's it's just something that they always backfire on yeah. themselves because because their arguments are not good. Um, yeah. And so you have Star Wars, which is um, 
made by an inherently liberal guy um, who who at one point was commenting on the the troubles of the Nixon era and then commenting on the troubles of the Bush era. Um, and so yes, those are those are it comes from a place of liberalism. Um, but for us libertarians um, who value you know a, a very universal sense of the idea of freedom, um, Star Wars resonates very strongly and there there are a, a, a vast amount of different little paths we could go down. I, I'm curious like have you ever been confronted with the idea that Star Wars is or is not libertarian before? Um, I, I wouldn't say that I've been well, I've always had the had the idea that it was inherently political. I mean, just just looking at uh, at and this is something we will surely talk about uh, further on in in this conversation. But just looking at Palpatine's speech and and Revenge of the Sith in the in the Senate, I mean, that in and of itself is one of the most incredible speeches I think um, in the entire saga. Uh, just because it is so powerful and so much uh, connected to our current current state of of uh, political um, discourse of of liberty and security, um, that it is you know it, it's it's something that I can't look past. I can't think yeah. that wow, this is this is just happenstance. No, this is exactly a representation of of our current political state. Um, but what I always find interesting is that it it really is a a human story. It is all of our story. It is the the human struggle that we have always faced throughout history. Of this is liberty versus versus tyranny. This is authoritarianism yeah. versus libertarianism. And when I say libertarianism, it's not necessarily uh, the the political party or even the ideology, but just liberty in and of itself. And and yeah. and the more I think that we focus on liberty is for everyone, not just a bunch of you know nerds and and in our small political circles. Uh, yeah, that's and more you know, of I the think effective message. Yeah, and I, th I think you know you mentioned you mentioned the Emperor's speech in, in Revenge of the Sith came out in two thousand five. Um, I, I I won't ask you your age, but I was uh, I was fifteen um, when that I was came out. Much younger than that. Yeah, I was fifteen, and so I remember going to high school uh, and talking. All my friends were talking about the movie, and you know they're like, "Oh my gosh, like this this is about Bush, isn't it? Like this is he's not going to leave power in two thousand eight. Like people, I remember there was this actual fear, uh, you know, in young people back then that Bush was not going to leave office because he had expanded his power so much, um, you know, in, in the eyes of his opponents." Um, during his tenure and you had the growth of things like the Patriot Act. And so like, you know, with libertarian themes in Star Wars, I think the obvious and low hanging fruit is that you have the rise of a totalitarian regime from a democratic republic, uh, which is blinded by a phony war. That should sound very familiar to you if you were paying attention in the early 2000s. But the subtext is is the politics of of fear. You know, it's not so much I think like the politics of of progressivism or, or you know liberals and big government. The the Star Wars is always coming back to fear as the real enemy, not only of a free people, but of also your soul. And, you know, you have the fear of death in playing Star Wars, the fear of harm. Uh, you know, Palpatine, that speech mentioned um, order and uh, stability and, and the continuing security for the Republic. Um, and you have this pull 
with humanity towards protecting themselves. Um, humans want to feel safe. They want to be protected from their fears, however unreasonable uh, it may be at a given time. Fear gave us the Patriot Act. Uh, fear gave us the endless war on terror. Fear brought us the Republic and the uh, the Republic and its emperor. Um, and you also have the tyrannical empire as a result of fear. And libertarians, I think, are just more wired towards calm. Um, now that may seem off when you consider like how paranoid we can be at times about rising state power. You know, sometimes it's like our hair is always on fire. <laughs> but but I say that because libertarians tend to be more hands off about fate and outcomes yeah. because there is an inherent belief in spontaneous order uh, in our political ideology and that everything will work itself out. Uh, if mutual self-interest is allowed to guide events and not state power. And so at the end of the day, in every trilogy of Star Wars, fear is really the enemy. And I think for libertarians, we are always sounding the alarm about unnecessary fear mongering, um, which always ends up putting uh, power back in the hands of the state. So in Star Wars and in real life, dark side uh, and fear of like, I guess what I'm trying to say is the dark side and fear is the health of the state. And for us, it's it's our sickness. It's the sickness of a free people. Um, being afraid is what Star Wars is always trying to fight against. Yeah, and I, I agree with that, obviously. And um, I think that's very interesting because, I mean, going back to uh, what we were talking about with, with Palpatine's speech there, um, and this could be a good segue into uh, what I have lined up here. <clears throat> but uh, with, with Palpatine's speech there, it seems like every political minority, every time that the tables turn, um, that political faction seems to resonate with, with that speech saying, this is the other guy. And it <laughs> yeah. seems that libertarians are just like, yes, that's exactly right. With, with <laughs> whichever, whichever, uh, with whichever faction is in power or whichever faction is in the minority, you know, you're basically correct that this is the other guy because it is the concentration of power. He is talking about um, sacrificing liberty for security. He is talking about all these things that I remember you, you know, just looking at uh, President Obama's speeches to the State of the Union and comparing them to uh, to Palpatine's speech, and it was very similar. And even yeah. with Trump's. Uh, a recent speech, um, this I guess this past January, almost a year ago now, uh, to Congress, it too was very similar. And I don't every, think every speech he gives. Yeah, I, I don't think that's that's a not. I don't think that's necessarily a coincidence. It's because that the executive is constantly accumulating this this uh, this much power that it's eerily becoming similar to to that of the Emperor in Star Wars. Um, so I want to actually focus on a little bit about each each different phase, um, each different uh, trilogy, if you will, of uh, of Star Wars. And I kind of want to start with the prequels because this is, while it's not the first, um, it is the the uh, the first in a chronological order in how yeah. the the Empire uh, rose. And you were talking a little bit more about uh, about fear. I want to talk a little bit more about the concentration of power because you have discuss how Star Wars is a an inherently political story. It's not only political, it's it's the story of of all of us. It's the story of of humanity. Um so 
talk to us about the dangers of how uh, of how the the political discourse that we currently have the the divide um, can lead to some some really dangerous situations. Well, I think I think at the end of the day, this this word gets thrown around a whole lot when it comes to our politics is the issue of tribalism and falling into. Uh, team A versus Team B, um, you know, red red jerseys and blue jerseys, and it it blinds you. It blinds you to the clear accumulation of power uh, and unconstitutional moves that your side makes. And I, I think it's just inherent um, in our political system that each side has its own gravitational pull uh, towards reducing people's freedoms um, because people want to have control, and each party wants to guarantee. Uh, the American people a sense of feeling safe and secure. Uh, Republicans have their own um, recipes for that. Democrats have their own. Um, libertarians end up being left in the middle, and if they are uh, paying good, at, uh, they're paying attention and they're doing a good job sticking to sticking to their beliefs. They're able to call foul, and that's why you can look at Bush, Obama, Trump, and just kind of go, "Wow, this is just a constant growth of executive power." Um, you know, the prequels represent a, a very long form chess game um, by Palpatine. He starts out as a senator. He makes his move to chancellor, and then he makes his move to supreme chancellor and then emperor. And this takes place over the course of 20, 25 years. And I think it's important to remember how slowly democracy dies like i mean uh, it, obviously it can it can like happen like overnight like literally like it, it, things could just happen very quickly um you know like I, I think of like the reichstag burning you know like a big national event in germany happens that an executive seizes on as a, as a means to elevate his power and boom like free society vanish but for the most part we accept that things crumble over the course of decades, over the course of a century, and then you finally get your total loss of freedom. And Palpatine's playing a long game. And so we have to look at our own system and recognize that the state itself does not uh, is not completely isolated um, administration to administration. When the executive grows his power, uh, in one term, the next president will also grow that power as well. And Palpatine, I think, embodies sort of that idea that the state grows over a long period of time. And if you lose control of it, um, you know, one day you're going to wake up and nothing's going to be there. You know, you had activist senators in Bail Organa, uh, the adoptive father of Leia. Um, and then you also had Padme, who represented the skeptics. They were the people who actually saw that something was wrong, um, not necessarily uh, with Palpatine on a, on a matter of religion, like that he was a Sith, but that they they realized that he was using this war as a means to continue to stay in office. They even created this thing called the Delegation of 9000, which represented 9000 star systems, uh, which came together to express to Palpatine over and over again in the course of episode one and two, I'm sorry, episode two, um, and the beginning of episode three, that they were concerned with the lack of democratic process that was going on in the Senate throughout the course of the war, because after the clone army was used, 
Palpatine had executive authority granted to him by the Senate, voted on uh, in part by Jar Jar Binks, barf, um, <laughs> to, to give him the ability to make all these executive decisions on, on his own in the case of war. Uh, we've seen that very clearly on our own world, where the executive war powers uh, of the president have grown over time. George Bush, um, you know, was was kind of exhibit a of that growth of power and so the prequels they they show us that long-term game and it ends very badly for them how much did you enjoy the prequels i'm I'm just very curious about that because a lot of people obviously have reasonable uh dissatisfactions with them but i actually do uh, Mm -hmm. appreciate them for what they were i'm curious about uh about how you feel about them yeah, I think there are reasonable, uh, reasonable arguments that you can make, and filmmaking critique uh, arguments that you can make, and then there are emotional arguments, and I think the emotional arguments are completely ridiculous. Um, older fans, Gen Xers, uh, lose their minds because it's not their Star Wars. It's not exactly the way they remembered it. There's more special effects. Uh, right. Anakin, Anakin is a whiny boy, but they forget. That Luke was a pain in the rear in A New Hope. <laughs> like a pain yeah. in the butt. That was a whiny little boy. Yeah. Um, and Anakin was also a pain. Um, and so there are there's the emotional arguments that people just don't like the change uh, of their Star Wars and having it adapted to new generations that I just dis- dismiss outright. I enjoyed the movies very much. I was young. Uh, when they came out. So that plays into it as well. I have an emotional connection that is irrational to the prequels. Um, I will tell, I will, I will cop to that. Like my love of some of those scenes in the movies are irrational given how poorly they are acted, but I just love them because it's my star Wars. That's the first star Wars that I really got to see in theaters and, and forge a connection to. Um, so there's all of that. I really enjoy the movies. Episode three is one of uh, is my second favorite Star Wars movie still, um, just because it has so much awesomeness going on in, in the second and third acts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean they are what they are. They they're very poorly acted. They're poorly written. Uh, George Lucas uh, was a dictator on those movies. He did not bring in he did not bring in outside help or consultation. Where in the original trilogy you had a great team. Uh, of people working on the scripts, working on the acting that were all collaborating. And the prequels were George George's solo project. And solo projects are never as good as the supergroup. <laughs> right, yeah. And I, I agree with that, especially with um, with uh, episode three. I, I have a special place in my heart for, for that one. I, I do think it yeah. is a really good movie, not necessarily because of the acting or uh, because of CGI or anything like that, but um, the plot itself, I think, is a really good tie together of the entire saga, and uh, and and really, it, it hits at a lot of the uh, the tones and the themes of the concentration of power, of the of the lore and seduct and uh, seductiveness of um, how how more concentration is is alluring. Um, and, and I really enjoy that and I really appreciate that. Um, so let's move on, uh, to the original trilogy and talk about some of the themes there, because now we, we've had the empire rise to power. We've had, uh, uh, Palpatine, um, become the emperor and invader, his, his chief enforcer. And now the, the rebel alliance is formed and has pushed back, 
Um, let's talk a little bit about how, you know, with with Leia, first of all, um, I, I think she is a fantastic character um, in, in this, as well as Han Solo as uh, really, I mean, a lot of libertarians can connect with both of these yeah. two characters <laughs> specifically. Um, so, so talk to us a little bit about how, how some of those, uh, some of those characters and the story there connects with, with libertarianism. Well, it's, it's a grassroots movement to, uh, to overthrow a tyrannical empire. I, I think it's, it's very simple. Um, you have, you have roguish individuals, um, in, in people like Han Solo who they are just trying to deal with their, you know, they're trying to handle their own lives. They're trying to help themselves, uh, make money where they can. Um, he is, he's a drug runner. Uh, you know, we, we refer to him as a smuggler. Uh, that means that he is smuggling spice. Um, so he is a drug runner. That's what he does. And for all of us who believe in <laughs> ending, ending prohibition, I think he probably, he probably goes right into there. And he it's, also is an it's advocate for, day as, as this is recorded. So this is a very, uh, very uh, convenient uh, time to record this. Yeah, um, you know, and also also people who advocate for freedom of movement. Um, right. You know, the empire in and of itself, like they are the number one restrictive force to being able to move from planet to planet wherever you want. You've got to go and and check into imperial starports. You have to make it through imperial blockades. You have to answer questions before you enter any world. Uh, where in the Republic, uh, that was not always the case. And so, you know, even when it comes to just free and open immigration, like the empire also cracks down on those kind of things as well. Um, you know, Leia, Leia is the feminist ideal. And, you know, that's kind of one area where I've always kind of been jarred by like, I, I think the cultural left's obsession today with, Oh my gosh! Every new, uh, you know, strong female independent character is like original. Like that Ray <laughs> was, like that yeah. Ray was groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, when it comes to a strong uh, independent woman being in a movie, uh, and we just always forget, like we had Ray, you know, we had with Sigourney Weaver and Alien, uh, you know, just like the list just kind of just goes on right. and on and on, you know. She, she's the ideal there. I mean, she is a civic minded young woman who's not going to take any crap from anybody. Um, and, and those movies are great. And, you know, I think with Han also, I think they, people like also like to bring up, you know, his, his penchant for firearms, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which, uh, which holds some truth, you know, the, the, the rebel Alliance, the one thing that plays against them throughout their rebellion is access to armaments. Uh, they are constantly outgunned, uh, by the empire, they are unable to amass the kind of fleet and the weaponry that they need to face the empire. Now, my big thing, and this is kind of like my Infowars uh, tinfoil hat <laughs> uh, uh, conspiracy theory about Star Wars when it comes to the politics, right. is who comes in to save the rebellion when they cannot access resources and firearms and and all the ships and materials that they need? to face the empire, but the wealthy elite and mega donors of the galaxy who actually fund their rebellion in Mon Mothma, the Darklighter family, 
the Organa family, everybody who you see in power around the tables at Rebel Alliance meetings in the original movie are some of the wealthiest and most powerful people in the galaxy who they lost power when the empire rose. They used to be very prestigious and well-connected senators, and they were marginalized by the rise of the empire. Now, I'm not saying that to disparage the rebellion and say that they just wanted to uh, overthrow the empire so they could have their own power back. I think they actually were rooted in some ideas of universal human freedom, uh, you know, or freedom for everyone in the galaxy, since we're not always talking about humans here. But I mean, I also like, I look at, look at the rebellion as a movement libertarian who we are funded by a lot of wealthy individuals who are interested in our causes. They keep us afloat. Like the rebellion is the same way. If you don't have uh, well-connected people with lots of resources to help you get your ideas out there, you, you can't do it, especially when you're up against an empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always had fun with that uh, at the expense of liberals who like to talk with about that, that the uh, um, the, Re- the Rebel Alliance is the, the best uh, analogy for the libertarian movement and that influence of wealthy donors. I find that uh, Han, Han Solo specifically is uh, really someone who I think resonates with a lot of people, um, not necessarily within the libertarian movement, but uh, sometimes specifically and sometimes um, externally because he doesn't really have a, a vetted interest necessarily in the beginning of this story. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't really care about the Rebel Alliance. He's not some some rebel with a cause. He's he's just trying to get by. He's just some guy that's like, look, I just wanna I just wanna get by. I just wanna pay my bills. I just wanna. I, I think that is a lot of of the American people. They just they don't really care about the political back yeah. and forth. They just kind of want to uh, do their day to day and and be done with it. Yeah, the average American is not engaged in politics, and uh, rightfully so. I, I don't think that the the American system of government was made um, for constant activism and exposure to politics. Uh, it is made to be a representative democracy where you elect someone to go deal with the business, and then they go deal with the business. And we've uh, we've lost control of that as a society just because I think of technology and exposure, um, where we're constantly immersed in it. But Han Solo is is the everyman. He he says to uh, to Luke and Leia, "I'm not in this for your revolution." Mm-hmm. Um, he's yeah. just trying to make some money, and what he is able to do is make the right choice when presented with the right. Uh, facts and not having them shoved in his face. Like he, he comes around to like that. This is actually morally important for me to get involved. Um, and you know, I, I was debating with someone once, uh, libertarianism versus socialism when it comes to the rebel Alliance and Han Solo getting involved. And the very fact that Lando Calrissian and the rebels used the millennium Falcon, uh, to go into combat against the empire was proof that socialism um, is the real <laughs> modus operandi of the rebellion, um, because because socialism to socialists means teamwork. You know, when you talk to okay. uh, when you talk to when you talk to socialists and you or people who identify that way, yeah. um, they they consider helping one another to be socialism. Acts of goodwill are socialism. 
giving somebody a loaf of bread is socialism. Um, and they ignore that, you know, actually socialism is when the man with the gun tells you you have to give that loaf of bread or a man with a gun tells you you right. have to surrender the Millennium Falcon to Lando Calrissian for this strike because Han, don't you want to be a team player and make sure that the, that we have the resources we need to take out this Death Star? You are part of this rebellion. Hand over the Millennium Falcon. Uh, no, that's not the way it goes. Everything in the rebellion um, is mutual cooperation between people who don't have to be there. They're it's voluntary. There it's completely it's voluntary. They're there because they want to be and they believe it. And yeah. Han Solo, Han Solo came around on his own terms on that, and I think that's great. Right. Um, so moving uh, forward, we have reached into episode seven. We have reached. Now we are getting really close um, to to episode eight to the Last Jedi. Yes. Uh, excitingly close to to the Last Jedi, um, and this this uh the the sequels if you will um have taken on sort of a tone of its own it's it's not like the prequels um and each i i find that each um each each series each uh trilogy has been very reflective of the times that have surrounded them and yeah. this i don't think is any exception um, this one you have uh, very much the the question of whether or not it's it's necessarily just two options it's it's the dark side or the light side and and you have uh, your heroes and villains in in this situation uh, kind of rejecting that so so talk to us a little bit about that and how this is uh, sort of a, a new Star Wars for a new generation. Yeah, well, if you grew up um, in the 90s, you are probably familiar with uh, the term Grey Jedi. Mm -hmm. It was part of the old EU. Um, and I think that this new trilogy, they're going to canonize that in a way uh, and with its own terms. Um, the politics of our era today are that of confusion, um, that of discontent with the, the party duopoly in American politics. I mean, libertarians identify with that probably more than anybody. Why do I have to choose red or blue? Why do I have to choose light or dark? Neither are a full view of the force. And that's kind of an area where Palpatine got it right when he was manipulating uh, Anakin into the dark side. Uh, you know, telling them that, you know, the dogmatic narrow view of the Jedi is not a full view of the force. And, you know, he just wanted to say that to get him fully over the dark. Um, but it's true, right? I mean, there is no monopoly on understanding the universe when it comes to the light side and the dark side. And this new Star Wars movie, I think we have every reason to believe that there's going to be some serious um, changing of sides and, and self-analysis going on here where you have a villain in Kylo Ren who says that he feels pulled to the light. When have we ever seen that before? And we have Rey um, very likely about to be confronted with a Luke who has lost his way. He has lost faith um, in the light side. Uh, he does not know who he is anymore. He's out on an island in exile studying who knows what. I have some theories about what he's studying out there. Um, but I think that when Ray finds Luke, she's going to be encountering what we used to consider a gray Jedi. And I don't think he's going to be in a good place. And I don't know about you, but I think Luke is the American people. <laughs> yeah. Luke, Luke is the tired, American people. Just fed up. I just has nowhere to go. 
has lost yeah, tired, spark. fed up, nowhere to go, politically homeless, mm-hmm. um, and and just in a state of exhaustion and despair. He's given up. Um, I think that's where we are, and Ray is going to find him, be repulsed by like really how jaded and non-heroic that he is, and that's either going to cause her to slip into darkness, or she's going to try to pull him out. And I I'm fascinated to see what it is, but. If that's not the story of our politics today, um, that's not even touching on on the neo-fascism of the First Order, which we could get into. Right. Um, that's the message of these movies. Um, a little bit of that speculation since we haven't seen the second one yet, but um, I would, uh, I'd put my money on it. Yeah, um, and I, I think this is quite the movie to come off of the 2016 election um, because this is exactly the story that America has felt um just just a year ago just a little bit over a year ago when we were just like look we don't want either of these candidates we we want something else we want something fresh and of course you know we we still stuck with the uh with the two party system but not uh enthusiastically by any stretch of the imagination um and i i think that this is this is really quite the time for for this movie to to come forward yeah, you know, if you'll remember, you know, the movie that actually came out right on the tails of the election was Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ultimate, fantastic the ultimate movie, film. fantastic film, and and the ultimate testament um, to what happens when you're not engaged and paying attention in politics. Like, if Rogue One has a libertarian message. It is that if you truly want to do something about, you know, say a tyrannical government, um, it is on you, not others around you, to take responsibility and risk everything um, to change it. You you will suffer and you may have to give up things, but it, you have to give the galaxy a fighting chance or give the country a fighting chance. And there's this powerful moment in Rogue One where um, Jen Erso is speaking to Saw and he says, you know, you care not about the cause, uh, the cause of overthrowing the empire. And she says, it's not a problem if I don't look up. Um, and gosh, I mean, that that's the statement of Rogue One in the wake of the 2016 election, that if you're not involved, if you just if you just get jaded and, you know, say, uh, I think do the wrong libertarian thing, which is don't participate in electoral politics and don't vote. Um, this is what you get. Tyranny always wins. Um, so The Last Jedi, you know, it is you have you have the resurgent first order uh, neo-fascist movement here who are trying to revive the ideas and the essence of the empire because they lost something too when the empire fell these are you know the first order is is run by um, the children of imperial officers, um, disenchanted elites who who lost everything when the empire fell and they want their power back just like everybody always wants their power back. Um, and they've ginned up this movement of hate in the galaxy to try to take out the new uh, the new republic. And again, uh, if we aren't seeing this play in play right now, then I, I don't think uh, I don't think we're paying attention. So I I'm curious about some of your more more bold predictions that you have for for the upcoming film. Mm, bold predictions. Well, this one isn't particularly bold because it's quite quite common on the internet. But I really do think and hope. That Darth uh, Plagueis is the man uh, or the creature that is on for screen Snoke. now as Snoke. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think that it makes sense for Snoke to be Plagueis. Uh, you know, a, a Darth 
wouldn't carry his name on, I think, longer than he has to. He probably just goes back to his assumed name, which is Snoke. And it would make so much sense to tie a nice ribbon around the entire nine movies for the Darth Plagueis mentioned in the original trilogy to end up being, or in the prequel trilogy, to end up being the chief villain of the entire series, culminating in episodes eight and nine. I really, really want that. Um, In terms of like more bold things, I think... I think Ray is going to fall to darkness in some way, shape, or form. And I think Kylo is going to pursue the light. I think that he is going to flee the First Order in this movie, um, become a refugee of sorts. It's going to probably then be on the Rebel or the the Resistance to see whether or not they're going to take him in. Um, because why would they take in a monster such as Kylo Ren? But it might be the last dying wish of his mother, uh, Leia Organa, who wanted her son to be treated well <laughs> if he came back to the light. So I, I think what we're going to see in this movie is a complete changing of sides. And you know, to everybody out there who's mortified at the idea of Ray turning to the dark side. The good news of that would be that this is the second movie of three and Not that gives third. and that gives her time to come right. back. Right. So I think if she's going to falter, it's gonna be in this movie. Have you seen any of the theories surrounding Snoke that because obviously he's the big the big mystery, the big uh, wild card of, of this yeah. whole new series. Um have you seen the the uh, this the theory surrounding Snoke about the possibility of him being a a force vampire of sorts, and he was sort of awakened when Order sixty six occurred, and all of the souls of the Jedi being released at once, and that was that was his awakening of sorts. That's I've not heard that. I think it's actually interesting. Um, you know what what I what I'm confident about with Snoke is that he is a a un, a misunderstood force from the outer reaches who is like the very essence of the dark side like mm-hmm. he is almost like the anchor of the dark side in the universe um you know and i think that he like a battery needs to be recharged and i think there's going to be things that he does in this movie that sort of speaks to that vampire theory which is that he literally survives on the suffering and pain of others. Um, I think that this has something to do with the chamber in which he sits that we've seen in the trailers. Uh, and that it also speaks to an interview that Andy Serkis, the man uh, behind Snoke, gave where he said that... One of the most Snoke, wonderful actors. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, and he said that Snoke is a creature in immense suffering. Like the, the deformities of his character cause him active pain and they're relatively recent which is very interesting he said that they he was he doesn't naturally look like this mm-hmm. um and that he is looking not for order in the galaxy but just to hurt and just to do harm because it sustains him and so then you have to think about the first order as a sham that there are the ideologues underneath snoke who think that they're trying to build something that they're trying to build like an actual government but Snoke but they're not. might might Snoke might just be out to watch the galaxy burn, um, and you have people like Hux who maybe think they're going to build something, and that's not the case, and that's fascinating. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, what are you looking forward to most uh, with with the new movie? Uh, some some ideas, I should say, that you're looking forward to, since we obviously don't know yeah. uh, what is in store for us. 
Yeah, two things. I think you saw my tweet earlier. I am hashtag ignite the green. I want a <laughs> green lightsaber in this movie. It's very important to me. Uh, that is my lightsaber color, and I need to see it on screen. I get very, I get very exasperated with Star Wars obsession with blue versus red. <laughs> it's like all the marketing is always yeah. blue light versus red. It's you know the kids' toys are always a you know a red lightsaber fighting a blue lightsaber. I'm like, hey, what about the green guys? Right, like, right. what about what about Luke Skywalker and Six and Qui Gon Jinn? These were amazing, and I always was just a green lightsaber guy. So I want Luke to bust out that green lightsaber that he probably has tucked away, hidden on his island. Well, I don't uh, know if you still- if you saw some of the uh, some of the uh, images, some of the the photographs that uh, the promotional images that that mm-hmm. was early surfaced, and Luke was holding. Uh, his lightsaber, and it certainly looks like the one that he possessed in uh, in Return of the Jedi. So, possibly, mm. possibly. I, have, I haven't seen I haven't seen that. Um, if he is holding that hilt, I will be quite excited. Um, besides that, I'm eager to see a Force Ghost in this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. You know, Force Ghosts have been part of Star Wars uh, all the way through, and they need to continue that trend. It wouldn't make sense coming off of episodes five and six, where you had this active presence of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda uh, as force ghosts, and then nothing going forward. Luke is lost and, and wandering, uh, you know, wandering in, in darkness. And that is the time now when Obi-Wan Kenobi needs to come back to him and help him get back on the path. Yoda needs to appear and help try to get them back on the path. Uh, it wouldn't make sense for those those mentors from another another realm to not show up in these movies. So I am very much looking forward to that. And my theory about Obi-Wan regarding this is that the recreation of Tarkin in Rogue One was not all about recreating Tarkin. I think that that was them testing the waters for how well how it would be received if they brought people back from the dead. And I think that they got Alec Guinness. I think I think Alec Guinness will be back. Um, That would be really cool. Yeah, I think that they I think Disney really wanted to test the ethical waters, see what writers and what reviewers would say when Tarkin was brought back and also really test run that technology to bring back Alec and possibly have it be voiced or helped out by Ewan McGregor Mm -hmm. Um, because Ewan McGregor did help out with voiceovers for episode seven um, in some of the visions that Ray had. So I think that there's going to be this like super team of all the prequels or (laughs) I'm sorry, all the all the movies like really colliding into these new movies and i just i can't wait yeah i i certainly agree with both of those uh sentiments because um, my personally my favorite character throughout the entire uh franchise has always been yoda and okay. uh he's he he always seems sort of a ron paul figure of sorts and uh <laughs> <laughs> please explain so, that what's so, the well i mean he's he's the old wise jedi that understands the ways of the force sort of the way that ron paul is the old wise libertarian that understands the ways of uh the ways of of human freedom and uh yeah and and i i think that it would just be a travesty to to leave uh frank oz voicing yoda out of out of episode eight and i obviously that that leads me to um believe that the the green lightsaber is obviously the best as well so (laughs) excellent ignite the green exactly exactly 
Um, so Stephen, this has been uh, really fun. I, I've uh, really enjoyed speculating with you and discussing some of these themes with you. Um, please tell us where people can find you and uh, where they can find your show at. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Stephen with a PH underscore Kent, K-E-N-T, 89 at Stephen underscore Kent, 89 on Twitter. Uh, and Beltway Banthas, my Star Wars and politics podcast at Beltway Banthas. And you can find us at BeltwayBanthas.com. We're part of the RetroZap podcast network, great, uh, great network of comic book uh, and pop culture shows. Um, and you can also catch us here in the coming week in the D.C. area. We're doing a live show at the Central Arlington Library with NPR Politics and the Federalist Radio Hour um, about Star Wars and politics. So if you're a local, you should be out there. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's our Internet footprint, and we hope you'll check out the podcast. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, and, of course, you can follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the show on uh, at Liberty on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update. And uh, tune in next week for our exclusive interview with Tom Woods. That is going to be a very, very fun episode that I am uh, certainly looking forward to. Uh, and until next week, we'll see you. <laughs>